Okay. Give me just a moment. Get situated here. Oh, this is a little different. Hey, Jesus preached one of his first sermons sitting down. So there, if he can do it, so can I. <laughs> uh, we're taking a, it's been a couple weeks since I've have been here for personal reasons and just continue to ask for prayer for all of you. Many of you, all of you know what that is. And um, it's good to be back in God's house today. And we're going to take a break this Sunday from the seven sign miracles, the study of the seven sign miracles by John. We finished the word the, T-H-E. Next time we'll resume with the S uh, in, in the sign of that acrostic that I gave you. But today um, we're going to talk about a one word that has affected every one of us in, in many aspects of our Christian walk, and that's doubt. How many of us have doubt in our life? We all have had doubt. And I thought this would be a great, great breaking point right now from our sermon series to cover about doubt, how to, how to see it and how to overcome doubt. There's a story of a little boy who cried out over and over, Mom, where are you? He was walking back and forth in the front of, in the, front of, the, of the store. He walked in front of each aisle, peering down the aisle to see if his mother and her cart were present, but there was no mom to be seen. He began to wonder what had happened. He had just come from aisle three, and that aisle where all the fruit snacks were at. He was looking at them, and then he looked up, and his mother was gone. He started to cry a little more, Mom, Mom, where are you? To himself, he was wondering, had she left me at this store all by myself? Had she decided I was too much trouble to feed? All he had asked was for some fruit snacks. Had she left me, left me in the store to head home and forgot all about me? He felt sad. This little boy was scared. He even felt a little angry. He reached aisle five and he noticed a man in a blue vest putting things on the shelf. The little boy walked up to him and told him, I think my mom left me at the store and got abducted by aliens or something. <laughs> now what makes you think that? The store clerk asked. Well, the boy answered, I was looking at fruit snacks. I looked up and she was gone. I asked her if we could get some, and then she was just gone. The man in the blue vest slowly got up from the kneeling position on the floor. Well, let's see if we can't go find your mom. We won't find her, the little boy said right away. I've looked all over the world, and she is just plain gone. She's not anywhere. The man in the blue vest took the little boy by the hand and continued looking. He asked, has she ever accidentally left you anywhere before? No, the little boy responded. Has she ever been abducted by aliens before? The man asked as they passed aisle seven. Not that I know of. So why would you doubt her now? I am sure she is here and we just have not found her yet. After that moment, an announcement came over the PA system, which echoed down every aisle. The little boy thought he heard, boy, lost, ten. His mother appeared finally with a full cart around the corner of aisle 15. His baby sister was bouncing up and down in the seat of the cart 
sucking on a bottle and sporting a different outfit that she had on when she had entered the store. We're having a congressional disturbance right at the moment, so just okay. We're now we're ready. Well, that's okay. That'd be a nice shot. So, oh my goodness, well, I see. Poor Gary. All right. The mother replied, "Honey, I just asked you to follow me to the bathroom so I could change your sister's diaper." Her mother looked down and hugged him. I thought you heard me. I looked around after I changed her, and I didn't see you anywhere. I went to the fruit snack aisle, and you weren't there. His mama smiled. The little boy said, I forgot. See, the man in the blue vest said, there's no reason to doubt. Here she is, and all is well. Honey, the mother asked, have I ever left you anywhere before? No, Mommy. Well, then I hope you've learned something about me today. His mom thanked the man in the blue vest as she began to walk away. As, they, as the, blue, and the man in the blue vest walked away, the little boy looked at Mommy and said, Hey, Mom, can, we, can I have those fruit snacks anyway? So, Doubt, that's the key topic. We can all sympathize with that little boy. That little boy had a bad case of doubt about where his mother was. Maybe we've not been lost in a grocery store before. But other circumstances in our lives, maybe there are times we feel alone as it pertains to God. How about let's get to real life situations, a loss of a job, financial situations, a mate that has abandoned a relationship or a friend, anybody, a close friend abandoned a relationship, a fatal disease that's come upon a loved one all of a sudden or a premature death of a loved one. All of these situations are very, very real. That many times can cause us to question God's love, his wisdom, and sometimes even questions his existence. You ever think, did that ever happen to you? Mother Teresa of Calcutta, we've all remembered Mother Teresa. We remembered all her selfless service and the great work she did for God, for the poor and the sick. A book of letters was printed after her death, which revealed even she struggled with times of doubt. She wrote once, quote, Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank, she said. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I cannot Explained, she said. Even the great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, once wrote, a crushing doubt in his calling led to such intense depression. This is what he wrote, quote, For more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled at all my members, he said. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy of God. How about this? Even the Lord Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, here's the question. Is it a sin to doubt God's goodness, 
or even his existence? Well, we're going to look at today a surprising reaction Jesus had to one of his greatest disciples ever. As a matter of fact, Jesus said he was the greatest who ever lived. We're going to talk about John the Baptist, okay? First of all, we're going to look at John's question concerning Jesus' identity. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and starting in verse 18. And we will look at what happens in times of doubt, the title of this message. Luke, chapter 7, and starting in verse 18. Luke writes, The disciples of John reported to him, about all these things. Well, that's a great verse to start by. Don't pick that as your daily devotional verse because that doesn't, in of itself, doesn't really tell you much. All of what things are we talking about? Luke is talking about of what Jesus was doing as far as diseases, blind, blind, healing blind people and casting out evil spirits. Now, the question is, where was John? Okay, the disciples, it says of John. Where was John? Well, back in Luke chapter 3, remember at the River Jordan? Uh, he was preaching repentance and proclaiming the Messiah was yet to come after him. He was proclaiming the way for Jesus. His ministry continued on afterward by confronting an ungodly culture and an ungodly ruler, Herod Antipas. Remember that guy? Herod the Tetrarch, the scripture teaches. Herod the Tetrarch was the son of the great Herod. Herod the Great during the time of the birth of Jesus. And after Herod the Great died, the Romans decided to take that kingdom and divide it up into four parts. He ruled from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. Uh, Herod the Tetrarch ruled the regions of Galilee and Perea. And then his brother Philip would rule the northeast region, Palestinian region. And remember, as the Bible teaches, Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife, which was also his niece, okay? And that we know is incest. And what did John the Baptist do? He proclaimed the sanctity of marriage and telling, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And for that, what, did, what happened? Oh, thank you, John, so much for reminding me of, of my immorality. You know what did he do to him? He had him thrown into prison. And at this time, at this point in the scriptures, when Luke records, John the Baptist had been in prison for 18 languishing months, okay? Now, that makes me, I'm going I'm to get on my soapbox. I better not too much. I might slip and fall with my back problem. But this is, listen to this. We have a big problem today in the church. Many Christians think we ought not get involved in the culture. We ought not get involved in the political system. Think about this. It was Christian pastors who brought change to this nation. The Black Robe Regiment during the American Revolution who stood up and said, we're not taking this anymore. The ty tyranny of King George of England. We, we believe in a free nation and a right to freedom of speech, freedom of uh, liberty. It was Christian pastors who stood up during the abolition of slavery. It was Christian pastors who stood up for the civil rights movement. We are called to do the same thing today in the culture that celebrates the murder of children in the mother's womb, that tries to destroy the true meaning of marriage, one man and one woman for a lifetime, religious liberty and a right to speak. If we don't 
Im try to impose God's wills, someone else is going to do it, folks. We are called to be involved in the culture. And for you Christians who don't want to do that, just go hide under a rock and wait for your sweet by and by to come, okay? Live on your blessed assurances because I'm telling you right now, they won't be so blessed when you stand before the master one day. We are to be involved in the culture, just like John the Baptist. And many times it may cost you your, all your freedoms. It may cost you your own life. Jesus said we are to be the what of the world? The salt of the world. And salt was a preservative back in that time. I mean, yeah, it makes food taste good today. Add a little salt. And, but the salt in the Christian in our Christian walk, won't give us high cholesterol. The salt is was then was a preservative to that meat. They didn't have frigid air refrigerators to put their meat into to have for a later time for a good leftover meal. That salt was used as the preservative to slow down the decay of the meat that was ultimately going to go bad if it didn't get consumed. But we are to be that salt in the United States of America and to all unbelievers right now so we can preserve uh, the total decay of America. We're not going to save the United States of America because this world's going to end and the United States has to end, but we can do all we can to save Americans, okay? We can do all we have to do to preach the gospel, to slow down the decay of our nation and our culture. Now look at verse 19 of Luke chapter 7. He writes, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? There's the doubt. There's the question. What happened? Why in the world was John asking this question? Where is this freedom in his mind that Jesus was talking about and what the Old Testament had prophesied about for thousands of years? The problem, the problem was, and John kind of had this line of thinking just momentarily, the reason they didn't accept Messiah as Savior, they were looking for a Savior literally from Roman oppression. They were looking for Jesus to come in and take over government rule, and he could have very easily, but that's not what Jesus' plan was by God the Father. Jesus came the first time as Savior of the world, when Jesus comes a second time, then he's going to make it right by being judge of the world, not the reverse. He didn't come to be judge and then savior. He came as savior first, and the second coming, he's going to come as judge. Then he's going to take over government rule and establish that millennial reign that the Bible prophesies about. They didn't understand that there was going to be a gap of thousands of years, who knows, between his first coming and his second coming. And I'm sure John was really wanting to know, you want to know what he's really thinking? Why am I in prison? Why am I in prison right now after all I've done to proclaim and pave the way for you, Jesus? Why am I here? Are you the expected one or do we look for somebody else? Seed of doubt got into his mind. Now, I want to go over with you four sources of doubt. Write these down if you have a piece of paper. Remember these, okay? Four sources of doubt. Number one, an unlived truth. An unlived truth. If you say, if you teach, if you preach things from the Bible that aren't true in your own life, guess what's going to happen? Doubt is going to seep in. You can't continue to claim what's true 
and live disobediently. Do you understand that? You cannot continue to claim what the Bible says, speak of it and preach it and teach it, and continue to live disobediently. If you can continue to do to those things, guess what's going to happen? Eventually, you're either going to change your ways or you're going to change your belief system altogether. That's exactly what will happen. Number two, another source of doubt is unexamined faith, okay? Remember, we should debate a question before settling it rather than settle a question before debating it. People will say, the Bible says it, I believe it, enough said. You know what? That really doesn't work in our culture. You can't use that as a defense in your faith. Well, we are to study, we, tar- we are to examine what we believe. First Peter 3.15, Peter said, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to what? Make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. There's an, an example your young young Christian kids, they graduate high school and they go off to college. And most of these colleges are very, very anti-God and atheistic in their manner and what they teach. There's a story of an um, atheist professor in one class one particular day and he was really harping about his atheistic views and he wanted to prove to his entire class that God wasn't for real and he didn't exist. And he said, God, if you're real, and you exist, I want you to come down right this moment and write me dead. Total pause. Total quiet, like it is in this room right now, this church. All of a sudden, in the back row, young football player, oh, about six foot four, 300 pounds, walks down the steps. He looks at the little minute, the little small uh, professor, and boom! Punched him, knocked him over the desk into the floor. The atheist professor gets up and wipes the blood off his chin and says, why did you do that to me? The football player says, God was busy, so he sent me. God was busy, so he sent me. Listening, if you're listening out there, don't do that, okay? You're going to lose your education. (laughs) But that's just, that's just, an illustration that God does exist. And that probably was funny. Um, maybe you might feel compelled to do that, but do it. But the consequences, I don't know what that young man had the consequences of, but he proved his point. God was busy, so he sent me. Number three, an unanswered prayer. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Unanswered prayer. John the Baptist, he wasn't upset about, about what Christ was doing. Christ was doing everything right. He was upset on what he wasn't doing. And what he wasn't doing, he was asking, Hey, Jesus, remember me, John the Baptist? I'm the one who baptized you in the River Jordan. Have you forgot about me? We do the same thing today, asking for intervention in our lives. And number four, undeserved suffering. The big question many of us ask is, Why does God allow us suffering? Not in the world. Why does God allow suffering in my life? That's what it really is. And you boil it down to his essence, isn't it? All the great men of faith in the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses, Elijah and Jeremiah, all of them 
they the question they had if both believers and unbelievers suffer what good is it to believe anyway that's a legitimate question they had that question from time to time in their ministry it's the story of matt and jackie both musicians they became very close friends as a drummer he would play backup whenever he she sang with the worship band Matt's deepest desire was to teach God's word and perhaps enter the ministry one day. Their common interests drew them closer. As a high school junior, Jackie hoped to attend the same out-of-state university as Matt. Then, Matt all of a sudden was diagnosed with advanced lymphatic cancer. Jackie says, I had great faith that God would heal Matt. He had such a passion to be a pastor, to teach others, I knew God wouldn't take his life because Matt could make such a difference in this world. She prayed for his healing. In September of Jackie's senior year, Matt died. Jackie responded with anger and disbelief with God so seemingly not answering her prayers. She said, initially I blamed God. Later I blamed myself, thinking I didn't pray hard enough or maybe I accidentally missed praying one day now i want to look at jesus's response to john's doubt first of all john's uh his response to john himself look at verse 22 and he answered and said to them go and report to john what you have seen and heard the blind receive sight the lame walk the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the dead are raised up the poor have the gospel preached to them what was Jesus doing here? He was reminding John the Baptist of all the great things that he was doing. And look at verse 23. Then he said, oh yeah, don't forget to tell him. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling or take offense over me. That word stumbling means to entrap, to ensnare, okay? Jesus was saying, you're going to be a lot happier, John, with me instead of being and staring at me because I'm not performing the way you want me to perform. Notice Jesus, notice this. Did Jesus rebuke John the Baptist? Did he send a, a rebuke from his, John's disciples back to him? No, no, no. He could have said, you know, you're an unbeliever. You infidel. I'm sending you straight to hell for having doubted me. Did Jesus do that? Not at all. He did not reprimand John. Remember this. There's a difference between doubt and disbelief. And we'll get to that in just a moment. A difference between doubt and disbelief. Doubt in and of itself is neither good nor bad. But it's what we do with it. It's exactly what we do with it. If it causes you to become closer to God, praise be to God. It makes you closer with the Father. If it causes you to turn your, turn your back and move further away from God, well, guess what? That's a bad thing, isn't it? Remember, questioning is a normal part of spiritual maturity. Young Christians, you'll hear it time and time again, young, young, young boys and girls, eight, nine years of age, come to faith in Christ. Then they get more adventurous in the world in their teenage years. They begin to question things of God. That is a perfectly natural thing, to question the things in this world, to question maybe uh, some of the spiritual aspects, to these young kids have got to get accustomed to a world they can't seclude themselves. They're going to be part of it. Questioning is a normal thing. Now, Jesus' response to the multitudes, all right? 
the, all the people that were hanging around. Look at verses 24 and 25. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see, Jesus asked. A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal places. Jesus took a moment. He wanted to correct people's thinking about John the Baptist, okay? You know, John wasn't this reed that bends in whatever direction he was saying that the wind blows. Rather, he was a man of great, great conviction. He wasn't given to soft clothing. The Bible says, how did John the Baptist dress? You want to dress like this and in camel's hair and have a diet of locusts and honey? Mm, sounds so delicious, doesn't it? You know, that John the Baptist was a tough, tough dude. I like to refer to him as the Ernest T. Bass of Israel. He was a tough, tough dude, all right? Now look at verse 28. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. John was, la was the very last of all the prophets, okay? A new era was about to emerge. The church age was on its, on its heels, a brink of coming into fruition. All believers would be permanently indwelt with that Holy Spirit. We had that advantage over all the Old Testament saints. They never had the indwelling Holy Spirit from the beginning of their ministry to the end of their life. It came and it went. We had that privilege of having it indwelt in us all the time if we'll just utilize it. Sometimes we forget God's Spirit's with us. He said, I'll never leave you. He said, I'll never forsake you. We would be, a, we would be able to do all things through Jesus Christ with that perfect Spirit in our hearts and our lives. And I'm telling you what, I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who doesn't grade us on the curve every single time we make a mishap? A mistake that he doesn't stop and grade us right then or one mess up in our lives that kicks us out of the kingdom of God praise God we don't serve a God like that now let's look at Jesus response here we go to the Pharisees look at verse 30 but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves not having been baptized by John remember earlier I said there's a difference between doubt and unbelief to tell a difference jesus tells this parable look at verses 31 and 32 to what then shall i compare the men of this generation and what are they like they are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and they said we played the flute for you and you did not dance we sang a dirge and you did not weep someone called this the parable of the bratty kids who knows about bratty kids <laughs> you know you know just like i remember in grade school you on recess all the kids would come together and you many of them couldn't come into agreement i want to play this i want to play hide and seek i want to play dodgeball i want to play tag they couldn't come into agreement of what they wanted to play with you know or even cowboys and indians if that's politically correct to say cowboys and indians but a lot of the kids couldn't come into agreement the pharisees were doing the exact same thing here they created that the bratty kids scenario they didn't want to do anything that these things that were offered these pharisees were looking for reasons not to believe okay doubters are looking for the truth unbelievers are not looking for the truth they're not looking for the truth just like a robber is not looking for a police officer 
Okay? Now, in closing, there are some practical ways to deal with doubt. Okay? Given you sources of doubt, but what can we do to, um, to battle this doubt in our lives? Number one, discern the cause. Figure out the cause of your doubt, okay? Look over those reasons earlier, those sources of doubt. Most of the time, God may not be performing like we want. And let's just face it. He doesn't, by our standards, does he? Sometimes we, we think, God, you're not, you're not acting the way I want you to. Well, because God don't answer to us. Thank God he doesn't answer to us. We answer to him. Look at Isaiah 55, 9. He said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, he said, so are my ways. They're higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Okay. Number two, share your doubts. This is so important with a mature Christian. Make sure you share these doubts with a mature Christian. We are to share one another's burdens in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Don't hold it into yourself. Share your burdens, your cares with other believers. That's why it's so important, Gary mentioned in Sunday school, to be in a local church. You can't share your burdens with a Charles Stanley on TV or, or a David Jeremiah or a Jack Graham. You can't do it. They can't hear you, folks. Those aren't live sermons. Most of them have been taped weeks, months, years earlier. They're for our benefit outside of the local church through the week, those feedings when we're not in God's house. I need them all the time. Uh, but that's why it's so important to be in the local church with like-minded believers to help encourage one another. Gary, Gary, there you go again. You take points out of my message. You bring it out. It's so important to be in the local church. We cannot make the Christian walk by ourself you it cannot and will not happen ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 solomon says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor for if either of them falls the one will lift up his companion but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up furthermore if two lie down together they keep warm but how can one be warm alone Verse 12, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I love that. A team. There's no I in teams. It takes a team. More than two. I tell you what, the more Christians that band together and come together in like-minded ways and worship one another and stand on the truth of God's word, that makes Satan tremble. He can't stand it. He wants Christians isolated and away from everyone else. Number three, a practical way to deal with doubt is view it as an opportunity to grow. Okay, remember, it's how we respond. It's our response that makes the difference in our walk with God. Public reading, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It should produce endurance. It's how we respond. It's either going to draw us closer to God, or sometimes, unfortunately, it draws people further away from God. Listen to this. Turn your doubts into questions, and then turn your questions to prayer. And then guess what? Turn your prayers towards God. And number four. Remember that our doubts never, ever diminish God's love for us. 
God, he's not threatened by our question. There's nothing that's going <gasps> to, I can't believe you just asked that. What am I going to do? God doesn't do that, okay? He's not worried at all. There's a story a, next, uh, a pastor ta- tells of a counseling session. A young woman, a young Christian came in and she said, you know, I don't know whether I believe in God anymore at all, pastor. Everything that's going on, things just, nothing seems to be going right for me. I don't know whether I, I believe in this Christian thing, whether I believe in God anymore. And the pastor didn't really know what to say, but all of a sudden God's spirit gave him this to say. He responded to this woman, that's okay. That's okay. It's all right. Even when you don't believe, God still believes in you. God still believes in you. Second Timothy 2.13 if we are faithless, God, Jesus, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. A great thing to remember in times of doubt. Amen and amen. Let's bow together in prayer. We're talking about doubt. This has been a message for Christians, but even even the non-believers have all kinds of doubt. Perhaps the greatest question of doubt. An unbeliever, if you're listening, you're not a follower of Christ, more than likely the biggest question in your mind and in your heart, what happens to me when I die? What ha- what's going to happen once I take my last breath? You have this opportunity now. God's Holy Spirit. If God's Holy Spirit is impressing on you convicting you you know you are a sinner and you need a savior Jesus said I'm the only way to heaven I'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me he didn't say that because he he hated people it's because he loved people he wanted everyone to know that he is the exclusive way to the father to eternity in heaven with your loved ones who have went on to be with Christ You may have that doubt right now. You don't have to doubt any longer. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If God's Holy Spirit is working on you, don't hold it off. The enemy Satan is going to want to tell you, you can put it off to a later time. It'll all be okay. There's nothing in this world that's going to save you except Jesus. Not a movement, not a political leader, our president, or anyone else. The lawmakers, your own family can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you for that precious blood he shed on Calvary to cover those sins. That's the ultimate love that our Father has for us, given his one and only begotten Son. If God's Holy Spirit is working on you, and you'll know it, you'll feel it, and and he's calling you to salvation, you can say this simple prayer of faith with me right now, out loud, or silently in your heart, knowing God is listening and waiting with open arms to accept you as one of his children. Say this prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. And I know that, God, I have sinned against you in so many ways. And I'm truly sorry for those sins in my life. But I believe what I heard today. You love me so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, who took the punishment for my sins on that old rugged cross, and I'm trusting in what Christ and Christ alone did to save me of my sins. God, 
thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And I'm praying right now that you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all of your heart, you don't have to have that ultimate doubt of where you're going to go when you die. You are now a child of God. And the, excuse me, the battle is just getting started because you turned your back on the old slave of Satan and you've become a, a, a different slave. Not, a, not that kind of slave, but a slave for Jesus Christ, for God the Father to do what God would want us to do in our Christian life. The very first thing you can do is give a powerful testimony to anyone and everyone who will listen. To tell them about what Jesus did, just did for you. The life he took you from to where he has you now and where he's going to lead you in the future. If you'll be obedient and put your full faith and trust in him. And there will be times of doubt. The Bible, is, it's, all, it's been in all throughout scripture. But God never diminishes his love because of our doubt we know that he is faithful even when we are faithless it's all part of living in a sin-filled world but tell that testimony to others it will listen and it may very well lead someone else to faith in christ that's doing the great work of the commission that jesus gave us and then make sure as i touched on earlier make sure you get into a bible believing church that teaches the whole counsel of god's word from genesis all the way to the very last page in the maps get into that church that teaches the whole counsel of god's word and they don't cherry pick scripture to make you feel good or tickle your ears or to gain money or fame or fortune they teach about sin s-i-n that's the reason for everything in this world why this world is going as they say to hell in a handbasket because of sin and what it did to you and what it's done to other people and where it brought you out of it, that sin that sin-filled life, and you have a new life in Christ. Make sure they teach the whole counsel of God's Word, just like this church, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist. Our information is on our Facebook page or on our website, pbbaptistchurch.org, where we have our statement of faith on there, great sermons from the past that will help you to grow, and just great information on there. Or if you can't get into this church, get into another local Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. Father in heaven, I pray that this morning that no one at the sound of my voice or any other great teacher of, of your Word that put out that call, that invitation of salvation, I pray that no one would resist that call and make a decision for Jesus today before it's eternally too late. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.